Good morning, it's Ioni Mountbatten. It's 4.15 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm coming from West Lafayette, Indiana, and I am uh, here to read to you Chapter 6 of On Days Like This and uh, give you uh, greetings for a good day. I don't know what the weather is like outside. It seems to be quite calm and peaceful and I don't know what the rest of the world is going through but I'm hoping everyone is having a peaceful morning. So here's chapter 7 on days like this. In the office of Dr. Metzger sat Mary Scott, Jack Malaco, Tom Brittle and their technician Karen Hilder. Bob Metzger leaned back in his wheelchair and looked up at the ceiling preparing to hold forth for what Mary would realize later as a long soliloquy of what he envisioned their day would be. This sort of thing happened frequently in his lab, and his postdocs had to sit and look attentive, even though they might be itching to start their day out at, from, of, out of his office. Now, all, I want us to be on the same page, Bob intoned in his high-pitched, husky voice. Tom, you, Mary, and Chris will work on this project to purify this membrane protein called the fertility factor. It is found in the ovaries of female guinea pigs. All you need to do is to go out and find our animal procurator and have Joyce, my secretary, pay him a fee to get these animals in the animal room. Then all you need to is to, I'm sorry, then all you need is to refer to the paper by Metzger and Allsworth, where we detail all the methods we use to prep these animals and remove their ovaries and get them processed. You know it already, right, Tom? He looked at Tom and peered at him over his glasses, which Tom chafed at. Yes, we've got the animals and care will be teaching Mary about how it's all going to be, Tom said with a bland voice. Mary was observing Tom. She saw a man with slim build, slim shoulders, and a belly that could be akin to a woman's gravid belly of about three months' pregnant status. Mary wondered why this guy was proposed to be anyone that was interesting to her. Karim chimed in. Right, I'll take Mary around and we'll show her all the instruments we'll be using for for the ovary prep and she'll be working on her own animals with me supervising. In time, she'll be... Going to the next page. Doing it without my help, but I'll be around. Don't worry. Karen smiled at Mary with a condescending attitude which gave Mary a shrinking feeling. This woman was not her favorite here, Mary thought with a sad feeling. Mary looked out of the window and tried not to think too sadly about this job. Another project where animals were in the mix. She was tired of working with rats and now with poor guinea pigs. I'll be around if you all need me to help, Tom said with a smile that belied his unwillingness to be of much help. In his mind, he was thinking of the nerves who were spreading with him during his visit to the oncology department in the hospital next door. Visions of her pretty brown eyes went through his head. In contrast, Mary's brown eyes did nothing for him at all. Being a bisexual, he was of high standards when he came to sexual partners. Mary sat with an urge to speak up, and so she said, I'm game about this project. I'll be glad to take a look and find more about this. I think I'll go to the library and find this article on the prep. No need, chimed Karen. We had this in our files. She nodded over at her desk over in the outside area of the office where the lab was located. 
Just take a look at it and we can get this done. What if we met later after lunch to get some of the tour done? I'll be having lunch with some friends, but I'll come in about one o'clock. Fine, Mary said, feeling a bit relieved. Somehow, she still had a tight chest feeling that she couldn't get rid of while she was being with these people. The question she had was whether she wasn't to this sort of work, why she thought it was interesting. Well, it was about the ovarian physiology, the fertility factor, what the newest thing was in hot research. Bob kept saying, this is hotting up in the world of molecular science. The words made it sound cool, sexy, but Mary was somehow unknowing, unknowingly getting a prodding in her mind that this world she was in was too high over and over her head. Having some visitors, my um, cat, Paco, is trying to say hello. Okay, you might hear him snort. Um, continuing on, Bob suddenly stood up and displayed his manly height and seeming virility. Tom gave him a look and then rolled his eyes upward. Karen smiled obsequiously. Mary stood up as well and took up her notepad. Let's get going and we'll regroup once we have some supernatant to work on. Mary, you will have to practice during the, doing the isoelectric chromatogram, and that will be fun, I'm sure. Bob's pale eyes sparkled and his lips were smiling, burying an even row of white teeth. Tom said, before Mary could speak, That's be fun. I'll look in on this with you, Mary. We'll be a good team. He smiled as well, and she could see his laughter behind his face. Karam glanced at Mary and then at Tom. Karam had a frown. This wasn't a good sign. They were getting to be too chummy, she thought. This had to be kiboshed, she concluded to herself. Well, Mary said aloud to no one in particular, as she put her notepad on her desk. I'm off to lunch. She saw nobody around, and Tom had disappeared, so she headed out the hallway and looked both ways. There were no passers-by, and so she went along alone to get something to eat. Mary didn't need anyone to have a meal with. She was used to it, and she suffered no embarrassment from eating alone. It was all good, she knew. She went through the food line and smiled at the server, who smiled back. A lady with stark hair, curly kept inside a white cap. You want to have anything, miss? she asked politely. I think I'll have the beef tips and noodles, please, Mary said. You bet. The woman took a plate and spooned the food onto it. Anything more? Well, I might have that green bean di side dish. Okay, she added the beans and handed it to Mary. Mary bought the dish on a tray and went off to pay for it. The woman watched Mary and thought she was familiar enough. She wished she knew her name. Mary was enjoying a sunny spot to eat her food, a table with the long windows at the med school cafeteria. She was about to taste her food when she saw Tom going through the line. He was alone. When he was done with paying, he took his food tray and started heading into the hall to eat at the table. Tom passed the table, and Mary had this rising hope that he would join her. Then the hope passed and was replaced by disappointment, as he seemed not to have seen her. Then he backtracked and stood by her table. Join you, he asked. She said, sure. They sat in companionable silence while they ate. They talked, but Mary couldn't rightly say what they talked about. All she did remember was that he reached over to taste her food and ate a morsel. 
he pronounced, needs salt. She laughed nervously and said, yes, it does. Mary had never ever had a lunch with a man that wasn't a family a friend or a member of her family or her father. Nobody had in her life thus far had a lunch with her except once when a very attractive male student shared a table with her at the McDonald's by the university. That lunch was rather stilted in conversation, and Mary decided this guy was good-looking but had no real conversation, and it was a no-go. Tom and Mary ate in silence, and when it was time to bust the table, they both left. Tom went his own way, and Mary walked back dejectedly to the lab, feeling a bit let down. He wasn't much into talking, and she was tongue-tied, which belied endless years of not having any real chums to talk to but the two that were guys or boys. She was, after all, an only child who kept everything to herself and her thoughts. Having this interaction made her alarmed, but part of her excited. Part of her was excited. A man joining her for lunch. It might be her that her old-fashioned dead aunts were cheering her on, but she didn't really know. The rivalry that eating with Tom Bradley gave her was struck down and the bubble burst when Karen came up to her as she sat at her desk. Here, this is the procedure for the O'Brien prep. Read it and we'll go round and get our stuff for the prep, okay? Karen was a bossy woman. Mary decided, but she accepted the thick wad of documents and proceeded to study them. I have to excuse me, my dog is trying to eat my purse. Okay, Joey, let's not eat my purse. Okay. Thanks, Mary said. I'll be back. I'll come in a few minutes. You don't need to read it all, just the materials and methods section, okay? Okay, Mary nodded, feeling even, even more like a person who was beginning to wonder what she had got herself into. But Mary reminded herself that this was, after all, Yale. The preppies were here in full force. There were wonderful places to explore. The spires of one of the churches towered over the streets of Yale. The mere idea of being a Yale was so big in her mind's eye. I could tell people. Uh, she thought that I was at Yale for a few years. Bob dropped in and leaned his arm against the door jamb, a serious look on his face, but not alarming enough to make her quake. Look, Mary, I think we need more help with this project. Help? Yes, I think an influx, influx of money. I'm thinking you need to apply for a fellowship. I have three in mind. The NRSA, which is an NIH-based fellowship, and then two more fellowships that might work. One is a conference child, one for those who attend Yale and other Ivy League institutions. And then there's PNAS, one from the Biological Sciences. Try to look those up in the director's office. The secretary there, Mrs. Jones, she's got those application forms, and you can make this happen in a few days, I think. You're good at writing, and it will fall into place. Tom had come in at the same time Bob was describing these fellowships. Mary sensed that Tom wasn't enjoying hearing that Mary was being singled out to apply for research funds. I'll work on it, Bob, Mary said promptly. Good. A, sm a smile played upon Bob's lips as he looked at her. It'll look good on your CV. I'll be happy if you got any of them. He, get he left, but soon after, a young woman looked in at the office. Her name was Gosha. She had met Mary earlier at a coffee and talk meeting. Hi, Mary. Are you free for a moment? Gosha asked. Then she saw Tom and a look of apprehension crossed her face. 
Hi Tom, how are you? Fine, came the peremptorial reply. I am free for a moment. I've got to make Karam to work out something about the project we're on. It will take a minute. Gosha invited her out of the hallway. Tom stayed in the office and Mary forgot about his rather dark presence. Gosha was taller than Mary and had watery blue eyes and her fair skin was blemished with pimples and scars. But she was, Mary learned, a big PhD at the laboratory of Dr. Enzo Lobo, a big, big, big research doctor in the field of colorectal cancer. Mary, I'm so happy that you are here. I wish we could be friends, really. Gosha said with a smile. You know, you are going to be a big person here, and it will be so good for everyone to have got you here. Has Bob told you to apply for these fellowships? Why, yes. Good, that is what Lobo was telling everyone but says in his lab. Have you met him? No, not yet. He's good, and we'll call him Papa Bear. Gosha laughed. Have you ever ready a place to live? Yes. Oh, good. My place... Me and my husband, oh, we had to scrub, scrub, scrub all over the place. Gosha expanded her conversation to her own experience in moving to New Haven. I had to actually go on my knees and scrape the dirt from the floors with a razor blade. It was that awful, but it was worth it, so much worth it. Mary stayed, stared at her incredulously. She had never had to scrape dirt off her floor anywhere that she lived in her life. Ah, Mary, Mary commented. Gosha realized wasn't Gosha realized Mary wasn't that impressed and was even a bit grossed out. So she changed tack and went back into her idea about fellowships. What did Bob Ted want you to go into the NRSA? And a couple of others. Like what? Uh the Jane Coffin's Child's one. Oh. And then the PNAS one, the biological fellowship. Oh PNAS, that's good. That's okay. Good organization. But the child's one it is very difficult to get it. Is that so? Yes, Gosha looked away dreamily. I got that for myself, but now I'm on Polo's R01 grant, the big one. It's going to fund my research for at least three more years. Mary was beginning to get bored, and she wondered whether Karen was looking for her. Gosha sensed Mary's concern about talking too long, so she tried to ramble on a bit more, and then she let Mary get away. Mary decided to go to the tissue culture laboratory where she did a preliminary prep for the human cultured ovarian cells that Karen had given her earlier. There at the lab, only another researcher had sitting at the aluminum hood. He was a short and skinny man with a mustache. He seemed to be a hail fellow, well met sort of man, and smiled and, smiled and waved at Mary, but kept on working. The other person there was a tall, skinny black African woman with gray, wiry gray hair and sported outlandish, dangling earrings. She got to see Mary and instantly confounded her, exclaiming how nice it was to meet Mary. Hi, Mary. Hi, Mona. How are you? Are you all settled? I'll keep you. Do I think you'll do well. I hope that you can be happy with this lab. I keep it going, and Metzger gives me all the financial support I need. He's the biggest user of this lab. His people, then Polo, and then the others. Mona Bell was in fine fettle, smiling all the time, and expostulating with grand gestures of her skinny and long arms with bony elbows. 
Why don't you come and join me in my office? Mortabel asked with a smile. I'm eating apples today. I love apples. Would you like to share some? Mary hated apples, so she said no. Okay, suit yourself, Mona said in a fading voice. If you ever need anything, Mary, just ask me. Okay, sweetheart. Mary was taken aback by this woman's very effusive attitude and her rather personal way of talking to people. Greer entered the room and started to run the hood by putting on the vent and switching the UV lamp to fluorescent. Mona leapt to the confront Greer and engaged him in an even more enthusiastic greeting. Greer listened as he went about the task of preparing his bottles and flasks. Greer and Mona was seemingly at cross-purposes, but Mona had no clue that Greer was blowing her off. Well, that was a long chapter. I hope that you enjoyed it. I'm starting to remember things that uh, these uh, these words um, harken back to. So uh, it's it's something that I remember when I also used to work in laboratory research. So I think everyone, uh, if you enjoyed it, please think about going out and uh, downloading the book at least for Kindle, or going off to uh, buy the book uh, at your uh, convenient online best bookseller. Uh, it's really been uh, one of those days when I woke up feeling really rather foggy, and I'm, I'm I must say that it took me an hour to get myself back to my normal uh, sensate self. So I hope everyone's doing well. Uh, takes a little bit of time to get back to normal for me. Um, Sometimes I get to awaken with ghostly thoughts and uh, the persistent um, thoughts of an old dead soul who's really supposed to be in hell. It's very difficult to live that kind of life, to be always surrounded by hellish thoughts. But that's my life, and that's why I've stopped writing, because it seems to increase in intensity if I ever do any writing. So everything's on hold until such time that I'll be able to move away from this country and find another place to live. Until the next time, bye-bye.